In the first few chapters of Naomi Klein's book, The Shock Doctrine, she shows what happened in the 70s and 80s to so many of those who stood up to evil. They disappeared without a trace, without even a grave to remember them by. Welcome to Creepycast, whose host would never be so brave, but I honour those who are. I do. My name is Pather O'Gillian. My hobbies include cowardice and creepy tales. Last week, I left you dissatisfied. I provided only half a story, and this week I have no intention of being any more generous than that. The Evil Eater was written shortly after an extraordinary time in recent Irish history, a period known as the Celtic Tiger, when the entire skyline of Dublin was dominated by cranes and there was so much money floating around, it seemed as if everybody could afford to eat in somewhere like Achrimans. For the first time in centuries, people came here looking for work. And Dublin, in particular, was ravenous for labour, swallowing workers from all over the world, many of whom, if they were to disappear, would never have been missed. The Evil Eater Part 2 of 2 The Hurani turned to face him, in front of a pair of double doors. Light flickered inside, and steam escaped intermittently. He heard sounds, too, banging and scraping and clanging, as if a steel foundry waited on the other side. A high-pitched squeal erupted from within. Toby clutched his ears and thought he felt the ground shake beneath his feet. What the hell is that? he said. I'm not going in there with that. The Hurani stroked the young man's shoulder. The evil eater is hungry, Toby. Are you evil? Am I what? Because if you're not evil, why, you have nothing to fear. The guards laughed again. I'm not going in there, Toby babbled, beginning to feel panic. I'm not going in. Once past the doors, they waded through a wall of heat into a huge room. Beads of sweat formed on Toby's skin and rolled into his eyes, while every breath tasted sour on his tongue. The little group stopped at the edge of a white line painted on the ground. The heavies shifted nervously. Beyond the line, dozens of sweaty workers heaved coal barrows through billowing steam. Waiters weaved among them with bowls of erta, their footsteps and voices lost in the echoing sounds of bangings and hisses. Everyone here, from the filthiest coal man up, wore delicate silver bracelets and they all twitched and jumped at every unexpected sight or sound. 
in the middle of the warehouse, in a huge pit of fire, where sweating men and women were constantly pouring coal, Toby saw something impossible, something that could not be real. Waves of heat shimmered from a huge, sack-like body the colour of fire, all reds and mottled yellows on industrial rubber skin. The monstrous form changed from moment to moment, like an enormous bag in which liquid boiled and seethed. Bubbles constantly poked at the surface, never bursting, but pushing hard. Toby's knees gave way. The creature had to be the size of a house, yet all he could think to say was, It's... it's got no eyes. There is no need for eyes, said the Harani, in the molten seas around the earth's core. Thick orange tentacles radiated out from the evil eater's pit to all corners of the room, reaching, though never crossing, the white line. Waiters stepped over them gingerly. A squeal erupted, shaking the building. A waiter dropped and smashed his bowl. Immediately, one of the tentacles twirled around his leg and slowly dragged him towards the pit. He kicked and screamed, calling out the names of those around him. But they looked away. And when he slid past, they just went back to work, some filling the pit with coal, others carrying bowls. The tentacle lifted its wailing victim into the air before dropping him onto the body of the creature itself. The heat, Toby thought. He watched in horror as the victim began to smoulder like meat on a griddle. And suddenly, he knew where the cloying smell came from. The man jumped up, burning his hands in the process. His feet blackened beneath him as he tried to run. He stumbled, he fell, and even then he didn't give up, but instead tried to roll himself into the pit. The fire-coloured skin of the evil eater folded around him, and he was gone. Beautiful, said the joyful Harani. Now behold the miracle. She pointed to Toby in the direction of a group of waiters converging on the pit with empty bowls. Here, a part of the evil eater hung over the edge. It expelled brown lumps, which the waiters collected before rushing off. Don't be disgusted, my young friend, said the Harani. Erta may be shit, but it is the shit of a god. Think about it. The evil eater, Achriman, takes a sacrifice. It digests him, removing the evil it needs to live and excreting the rest. Oh, think about it, she said again, eyes shining. A perfect ecology. We provide Ahriman with food. Illegal immigrants, well paid for the risks they take, and never missed. 
Then we remove the shit which disgusts it. And in return for this act of worship, we have Erta, the very essence of goodness, all that is left of a human being when the evil has gone. But the customers, blurted Toby, his skin prickling with the awful heat. Do they know what? Of course they don't know. The Harani laughed. Not even the Shah knew how we made Irta in the days before the Ayatollahs drove us out. They got a silver bracelet for him and put him to work hauling coal with an Armenian who could barely move with the shaking in every part of his body. The man, Levon, babbled constantly in a voice that barely carried over the din. You are an Irish, he said. Not pay your bill? Toby was too shocked to reply. But Levon didn't seem to mind. He showed his new colleague how to slit open the sacks of coal. Don't bother, said Toby. The Harani and her guards are gone. There's no way I'm staying around here. You cannot go, whispered Levon urgently. Ariman, the evil eater, get you. Toby was already heading for the swing doors. He won't want me. He's just eaten. His wrist began to tingle under the silver bracelet. And the farther he walked, the stranger the feeling became. He noticed other workers were staring at him, some changing course to stay out of his way. Short bursts of pain began to shoot up the nerves in his arm. His spine itched and burned, but he ignored the sensation, determined to reach the door. Instead, he stopped. His feet refused to move forward at his command. They turned and brought him to a halt near one of the tentacles. And then, although it was the last thing in the world he wanted to do, Toby lay down on the ground beside the hot skin of the evil eater and he curled into a ball. He tried to get up but could not. A terrified thought ran through his mind. If I'm still here when it gets hungry again, his chest struggled to draw breath, and even blinking took so much effort that a whole minute went by between one closing of his eyelids and the next. Only his heart moved freely, and it took full advantage hammering against his sternum, pumping terror into every part of his body. Time stretched. How long had he lain there already? How long before the beast got hungry? Then his wrist tingled. Pain burst forth all over, and he was free. He ran back to his post and started to work again like a madman. You were there five minutes, said Levon. Toby barely heard him. You cannot leave during shift. When, cried Toby, when can we leave? You 
when you pay your bill, I think. We? He pointed at the others who heaved bags of coal around them. When the fear becomes too much, but never during the shifts. I am here two days already. Two days? Toby could not believe anyone would stay longer than a single shift. Levon laughed. It sounded bitter. Two thousand euro a night. Good money, very good, but your western hospital cost many, many euro. The evil eater screeched in hunger and killed their conversation. Three times over the rest of the night, the god Achriman screamed. Three times victims were yanked from the crowd. Finally, after a night of toil and fear, a bell sounded, and everyone began to file from the room through a door at the rear. Toby hurried to catch up with them, terrified of being left behind, but he had to wait as a queue of nervous workers formed at the exit, and Toby found himself at the back. It had been almost an hour since the monster had last fed. Men and women pushed at those ahead of them, making it harder to get through. The evil eater squealed. A dozen workers in front of Toby had yet to pass beyond the door. Some started fighting with those in front of them. Others pleaded with increasing desperation as the orange tentacles writhed. It became too much for a Moldovan who had laboured near Toby most of the night. He pummeled a Nigerian woman immediately in front of him and shoved her towards the nearest tentacle. Almost quicker than the eye could follow, the monster struck. It knocked over the terrified Nigerian, but stole the Moldovan instead. A hush descended. Toby had already learnt to savour the calm that followed feeding. He stopped to help the Nigerian, but her back was bent in the wrong direction, and her breathing had ceased. A new set of workers was already shuffling in for a day of horror. Two thousand euros each they were getting. Two thousand euros. Big money for anybody. For illegals, it must have seemed unimaginable. But Toby would need weeks to pay off his debt to the restaurant. More if they expected him to cover Marie's food too. He stumbled out the door. He followed the others into a large room of drab walls where fluorescent bulbs buzzed and popped. Men and women lay higgledy-piggledy on piles of clothing that could only have been left behind by ex-workers. They gulped down water from buckets in the middle of the room or scratched calculations onto the walls as if trying to decide how much money their stay here had already earned them. Some prayed in a variety of languages, but nobody talked. Toby looked around. The only person he knew 
was the man he had worked beside all evening, Levon. He went over to join him. The stocky Armenian still shook. He sat with his back to the wall, red-rimmed eyes peering intently at a passport-sized photograph in his hands. A woman, Toby guessed. The two sat in silence for some time, while others fell asleep around them. Mutterings came from every quarter, sleepers tossed in the pale light of the fluorescence. I'm a liar, Toby said at last. The evil eater likes liars, doesn't it? That's what it eats. Levon stared at his photograph, rubbing it repeatedly with blocky thumbs. He had lost his earlier loquacity. Instead of answering, he put the picture away and produced some stale bread, which he tore in half. Toby refused the bread, but Levon made him eat, for they would get nothing except water for another few hours. He tried to sleep then. But how? With the evil eater so close? The monster had a great power to concentrate a man's mind on his own failings. Toby was far from being the worst of men. And yet, over the next few days, he grew to rejoice in the evil eater's feeding because every death kept him alive longer. Screams became the trumpet calls of his own salvation. These thoughts, Levon told him, they are a rot on the soul. Sooner or later, the smell will attract the monster, make hunger for it. I know, Toby whispered. The tentacles twitch now when I step over them. Ariman knows I'm happy when the others die. He took to praying again. He spent his time at work running his life through his head, as it should have been. How he should never have sneered at his parents. How he should have married Elwaz instead of abandoning her when she most needed him. At the very least, he should have apologised. To her. To everybody. He hoped desperately that Marie would start looking for him. But he knew she wouldn't try too hard. She'd only ever gone out with him because of that one TV appearance. As time went by, as one casting agent after another rejected him, her interest had waned. No, Marie wasn't coming. He would have to escape by himself or die here so that the rich might feast. Four evenings after he began working at Acrimans, he and Levon took the place of a couple of waiters whom the god had chosen for himself. Toby preferred this work to shoveling coal. A waiter got to leave the presence of the evil eater for several minutes at a time. Toby served Erta that night, to the world's top football player, to the president of the United Nations, and to an obese rock and roll star, supposedly dead since 1977. He didn't care. 
Every minute outside the kitchen was bliss. However, once he had handed over the warm bowls, the walk back hung over his head like a noose. His limbs shook from fear, and though it was far cooler in the dining room than in the kitchen, the shepherd's costume hung heavy with sweat. Once back inside, tentacles twitched more than ever before as he stepped over them, and he knew death would pounce within days. More likely hours, he thought. Towards the end of the night, as Toby and Levon were filling bowls from the creature's foul backside, it screamed in hunger, and he knew his end had come. A tentacle curled back from the edge of the room towards him, scattering any who stood in its path. He fell to his knees, cowering behind the bowl of Erta as if it could shield him from his fate. But the tentacle had not come for Toby. Levon screamed. The Armenian fought as no worker ever had before him. He ducked and weaved when the hot flesh tried to close, and incredibly, for a moment, he broke free. Help me, he cried. How many times had Toby heard those words as victims slid past to cook on the monster's back? He had always looked away, always. Nobody could help them. But this time, his eyes would not close. This time, it was Levon. A tentacle inched playfully towards the Armenian, herding the man backwards towards the pit until his heels hung over the edge. Oh God, thought Toby. If he falls in, he'll burn up before the evil eater has a chance to feed. Then it'll be me. His free hand rose, but whether he meant to help his friend or wave goodbye, he did not know. Nor did it matter. The tentacle shot forward and grabbed its prey just as the man toppled back. From there, it was no more than a few metres to the monster's back. But the beast, as was its habit, first dragged the Armenian through a crowd of co-workers to show him off. Toby's legs turned to jelly. In an hour, he would suffer the same fate. And nobody would help him either because they were worms just like he was. He would die a worm's death without one good act left behind to show he had ever existed. He rose and started after the tentacle, the jerky footsteps of a body that wanted only to hide. He clenched his teeth and ran. Toby could never drag Levon free of the burning coils that enclosed him. All the workers together would not have had the strength. Waiters scattered from the madman's path as he picked up pace in pursuit of the tentacle. When Toby caught up with it, he was still holding his bowl of Erta. He smeared the paste over Levon's face and shoulders, 
and any other part of him that showed from beneath the burning skin. With a roar of what might have been disgust, the evil eater dropped its shit-covered dinner. All of the tentacles at once swept towards Toby, knocking workers from their feet, flinging barrows of coal into the air so that a black hail rattled down all over the floor. Toby squeezed his eyes shut. He wished he'd saved some of the Erta for himself. The temperature around him rose with the unbearable heat of the creature's skin. He felt like he was being cooked, each breath searing into his body. Mere inches from his face, the tentacles began to writhe. Toby's body gave up and he collapsed. He woke in a cool office. The Harani sat behind a desk, watching him over steepled fingers. Your time of service with us is at an end, young man. She smiled coldly. You were only required to pay for one meal, after all. No, he protested. There were two of us. Yes, there were. Your girlfriend didn't last five minutes in the kitchens, but then... The way she informed on you like that, I did not think she would. You, she shook her head in disgust, you are no longer wanted. Toby trembled with a growing fury. I'll tell, he cried. I'll tell everyone what you did to Marie, the press, everyone. No, young man, you will not. The heavies appeared at the door. Goodbye. They took hold of him, big hands pulling him away. He had a horrible thought. What about... what about Levon? He has asked to stay, she said. His wife is still in hospital now. But he won't last another day. He can't. He... They threw him out. Toby had almost finished work for the day, in the offices of Refugee Action. All right, Mr. Tahina, he said. I have your details, and now... He stopped speaking in surprise. The asylum seeker's sleeve had fallen back, revealing a flash of silver. What is problem? asked the man. Toby showed him his own bracelet. He had never been able to find a way to remove it. They smiled at each other with great sadness. Toby wanted so much to talk to the other man about what they'd been through, and he could see that Mr. Tahina felt the same. But neither of them dared. Toby had tried that once before. Shortly after escaping from the restaurant, he had attempted to explain to Marie's parents what had happened to their daughter. Before he had even reached the part about the golden invitation, pain shot up his arm from the bracelet. His body stood of its own accord and walked towards Ahriman's. He had been helpless to prevent himself. His legs had stopped only 
when he'd stood in the alleyway behind the kitchens where steam hissed through the crack between the double doors. The message had been clear. He ran all the way home again afterwards and threw up in the bathroom repeatedly. Toby often dreamt of the kitchens, of Levon, of Marie and the others. On such nights he would awaken, bathed in sweat, his wrist stinging under the bracelet. At first he would see only darkness, and in the darkness the faces of men and women who had had the evil seared out of them. But then, the sound of Elwaz's breathing beside him and the stirring of their daughter in her cot would bring him back to himself and he would realise that the dead were not the only ones who had been purified by the creature. Toby got up to show Mr Tahina to the door. They shook hands and then, although they had never met before, they embraced. Sometimes, Mr. Tahina whispered, I even feel grateful to it. Toby, thinking of his young family, understood the man completely. The End So there you have it. I think we're up to episode nine now of Creepycast. If you like it, why not tell a friend? If you don't like it, but have an enemy of a nervous disposition, why not tell them? Oh, you love it, you love it. It's all about teddy bears and and they are so ever so cuddly. Mm, You should listen to Creepycast. Nothing can go wrong. And as always, if you'd consider leaving me a review or if you'd consider buying one of my books, The Call or The Invasion for somebody for Christmas or whatever, I would really, really appreciate that. I also appreciate you just listening, actually. Even just listening. It's a joy to me that you do. I thank you very, very much. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon.